Well, it's good to be back with you. We appreciate <clears throat> your presence. Uh, we especially appreciate uh, those visiting with us. We're glad you're here, and you're always an encouragement when you come our way. And we want you to come back every opportunity that you do have. One of the more well-known people in the Bible that we read about is Luke. If you would, notice Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. In writing this letter, Luke says, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. Because of Luke, we have a majority of the New Testament preserved for us. We have one of the biographical writings of our Lord uh, that uh, holds His name, Luke, the Gospel according to Luke. And then we have, of course, the uh, historical founding of the church in the book, the Acts of the Apostles, commonly known as Acts. Paul mentioned Luke to the brethren in uh, Colossae when he said, Luke, the beloved physician and Demas, Greet you, Colossians 4.14. So Luke was heavily involved in mission work after he became a Christian and began to work with Paul. In fact, he joined Paul and Silas and Timothy on the second missionary journey. And he spent time with them. And as we read the account of this second missionary journey in the book of Acts, we learn and we can pinpoint exactly when Luke became a member of the entourage. The group is referred to as they up until uh, Acts 16. Now Luke being the writer of the book of Acts referred to Paul and those traveling with him as they. Well when we get into chapter 16, particularly verse number 10, Luke recorded, and after he had seen the vision, talking about Paul, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly, that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. We endeavored, he said, and the Lord had called us. So he became a member of that missionary group, that missionary effort, and began to work alongside Paul. Well, one might ask the question, what difference does that make? Why is that of any uh, note? Why is that worthy of even remembering that he became a member at that particular point recorded in Acts 16? Well, I think it's remarkable because when we look at Luke and we look at his lifestyle and we look at his abilities, he was a very educated man. In fact, he was a physician. And he could have provided for himself a very nice living. But instead of doing that, he no longer uh, was a physician to the physical bodies of people. He became a physician spiritually for people. He had dedicated his life to doing that. And as we read the account, it appears as if he just dropped everything and joined Paul and began to help the greatest missionary we have recorded for us outside of our Lord in his efforts. But I think maybe the greatest thing that Luke left for us 
as we study his writings and we read about his life is that we learn that he saw Jesus. And I've I've entitled the sermon tonight, Luke Saw Jesus. But again, we say, well, didn't all the apostles see Jesus? Didn't many of the disciples see Jesus? What about the Jewish and the Roman leaders? Didn't they also see Jesus? Well, they did see Jesus. They were contemporary with Him and they lived with Him. We have no evidence that Luke was ever in the physical presence of Jesus. But Luke saw Him in a different way. Luke saw Jesus in exactly the same ways that we see Jesus. Like we do, Luke saw Jesus through individuals. That's our first point tonight. He saw Jesus through individuals. Again, as far as we know, Luke was never in the presence of the Lord, never taught personally by Christ like many of the other disciples. He learned about Jesus from someone else. Now, it appears that Luke was born and and reared in Asia Minor. He was Greek in origin. And it's apparent that he was never in Judea or Galilee until he went with Paul. And so that was his first trek over into what many term is the Holy Land. Now, we're not told exactly from who he learned about Jesus. Could have been Paul. Could have been at the marketplace because that was Paul's kind of his uh, modus operandi, wasn't it? He would preach in the marketplace. He might have even learned about Jesus from Silas or Timothy. We're not sure, but we know for a certain he learned about Jesus from another individual. Of course, like Paul or like uh, Luke, we're far removed from the actions and the things that went on in Christ's life. We weren't there personally. And we all learned about Jesus through the work, through the sharing, through the gospel effort of someone else. And I think that's something very important for us to keep in mind. I can recall the person who introduced me to the gospel, a close friend of my family's, Uh, Maybe some of you learned through parents, spouses, co-workers. But it is of certain that we learned it from someone, right? And so we had to see Jesus through the efforts of individuals. We had to learn about Him through someone else. Now we're told about Him. We came to the gospel about uh, to Him in the same way that Luke did. So when we look at the things in Luke's life, and we read this statement that he made at the beginning of his letter to Theophilus describing the life of Jesus. Things that people believed. Things that were set in order. His perfect understanding of those things. We come to a quick understanding that he had to learn those things from other people. And because Christianity is a learned religion, we have responsibilities as Christians. We must lead others to Christ. It's our job. It's our vocation. It's a duty that we have. Someone led Luke to the faith, and because of their efforts, he became a missionary for the Lord's church. And he wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else. When we look at the volume of what Luke wrote, he he wrote more pages than even Paul himself in totality of volume. He wrote more than half of the New Testament or right about half of the New Testament. And so, 
Because of that, it, it changed his life. It changed our lives. It benefited us. It benefited Luke. And so we need to emulate that in the best way that we can. And we must never underestimate our influence on others. We must never underestimate our influence on others that we have. As a parent, a husband, a wife, a friend, uh, a co-worker, whatever the case may be, we influence those around us and we want to make sure that we influence others for good. We may be in a position because of those relationships to offer someone the knowledge of the plan of salvation. John recorded this, talking about Andrew finding his brother Peter. John 1, verses 41 and 42. Speaking of Andrew, he, John wrote, He first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Can you imagine the difference in the world had Andrew not gone and gotten his brother Peter and, and brought him to the Lord so he too could become a follower of Christ? Would God's plan of salvation, was he, would His scheme of redemption uh, unfolded just all the same? Well, sure it would have. But we wouldn't have the sermon spoken by Peter on the day of Pentecost. Well, someone else would have spoken a sermon similar to that one. But just think of all the wonderful things that Peter did. I once wrote an article with Paul's uh, letter to Philemon as the background in which I talked about the ways in which we change the world. I think a lot of people get it backwards on how we can change the world. I think a lot of people want to change the situation and then therefore the situation makes the individual better. I think that's backwards. I think we change the individual. We make the individual better. We do that through the gospel and then the situation gets better. I think that's the way... Nations follow after God if they follow after God. The individuals become better and that spreads. That's what we have to do. When we look at the spreading of the gospel, isn't that what happened? If you'll notice when, when the apostles went into an area or when the Lord went into an area, they didn't go in and attack the things that were going on. Though they disagreed with them and though they were contrary to God's laws, what did they do? They didn't go cause a riot necessarily, right? We spoke of uh, slavery this morning. They were opposed to slavery. But they didn't go in to attack the institution because that would have caused a lot of problems. What did they do? They made Christians. And what happens when you make Christians? Slavery goes away. You make the individual better. That remedies the situation. And that's what Luke did. And we see that in him by someone going and taking him the gospel. And who knows, when we influence someone else, we may be encouraging the next great elder or deacon, the next uh, faithful preacher, and we might even convert a Luke to the gospel to go out and be a missionary. We may think our influence is small, but someone's influence worked on Luke and he became the man we read about. Let's listen to his words again, Luke 1, verse 3. He said, It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. How did he know what went on from the very first? Have you ever thought about that? He wasn't with those men. 
He wasn't in the company of Jesus as he walked the, the, the places in Galilee and those other areas where he preached. He wasn't there. We have no record of him ever meeting Jesus or knowing anything about him. How did he know? Well, when we look at the way in which he saw Jesus, and we see that he saw it through individuals, but he also saw Jesus through investigation. That's our second point. He knew perfectly what went on. Well, now, he was an inspired writer, absolutely. But the inspired writer used his experiences in that writing. The Holy Spirit chose each word and had that writer put it to the pen. But it was his life, his experiences that we see through those writings. We see it with each of the writers, don't we? We see Paul's writing, and his writing is much different than, say, the writing of Peter or John or or some of those other men. His experiences were different. His education level was different. When we read the, the things that Jesus taught, the things that He did, we see that He didn't write in the same way Paul wrote. Not that He didn't uh, have the intelligence that Paul wrote. He was obviously the smartest man who ever lived. But He had different life experiences. And we notice that in His writings, right? He talks about agriculture. He talks about things the common man would know. Now Paul, on the other hand, would talk about things that, yeah, the common man would understand that, but he would also speak to those who had the same kind of experiences that he had. He had a high level of education, yet he understood what a good work ethic meant. But we see that Luke, he investigated. God doesn't expect us to be superstitious. He doesn't expect us to hold on to the traditions of our parents just simply because that's all we've known. He expects us to investigate. And what does that investigation do for us? It gives us confidence in the fact that we know we're following after God in the proper way. And that's what Luke did. There's no doubt that that he talked to those eyewitnesses when he was over in that part of the land, when he was in Palestine. He was there for two years with Paul. Paul was in prison and that gave him an opportunity, Acts 24, 27, to find out more about that which he wrote from a personal standpoint. Sitting down and talking with people who knew Christ. Sitting down and talking with people who perhaps had been there when he was crucified and mistreated. I don't think for a second he simply took the word of Paul. I think he investigated and he wanted to learn. And again, God does not expect us to do that. He doesn't want us to take someone's word. He wants us to investigate so we can have confidence. And I think we can, without a doubt, come to the conclusion that God has in store for us to come to. He wants us to see it as He sees it. Paul told the Ephesians, Ephesians 3, beginning with verse 3, he says how that by revelation... He, talking of God, made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. See, a mystery is no longer a mystery when it is explained, right? And so it was explained to Paul. Paul, in turn, explained it to other people. And we ought to be able to come to the same conclusion if we're reading the same material, right? We go back to the idea of, 2 plus 2 is 4. 
in any math book that you can pick up that is uh, uh, worth anything, if you're going to find 2 plus 2 is 4. It doesn't matter what language in which it is written. It doesn't matter who reads it or who teaches it. 2 plus 2 is always 4. If we're reading the words of God, we ought to be able to come to the same conclusion. An honest look at the facts ought to give us confidence in our faith. So someone asks the question, and I think this is a, a fair question, how do I know? How do I know when I open up the Bible and I begin to read the New Testament, how can I know I'm a member of that church of which I read? I think we all ought to ask that question. Anyone who is offended by receiving a question of how do you know you're right, that person needs to uh, look at himself a little closer. We want people to ask that question. How do you know what you're saying is correct? Well, it's certainly not because I say it's correct. Because we have to employ investigation. I want us to uh, see exactly what the Bible teaches. When we look at the Scripture, what does it teach? That Jesus came to earth. That He lived as a man. That He was murdered on a cross. He was in the ground for three days. The church was established. Christianity took the place of Judaism. And we can find that congregation of the Lord's people. But don't take someone's word for it. All of that's found in the Bible. And let's look at it. You know, someone says, well, we're going to the same place, we're taking different pathways. Does the Bible teach that? If it does, then that's good. If that's what the Bible teaches, then we ought to embrace that. But how do I know what the Bible teaches? I need to investigate it. I need to look at it. Did God tell us everything we need to know except the plan of salvation? doesn't make sense, does it? He told us everything else we need to be able to do. How to worship Him. How to interact with one another. How to treat our brethren. How to treat those who are not members of the Lord's church. How to go about bringing others into church. He told us everything except how to become a Christian. I don't believe that. That just doesn't make sense. Let's read God's plan of salvation. When we look in the Bible and we read, for instance, Hebrews 11.6, we mentioned this verse this morning. But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of him who diligently seeks Him. Okay, belief. Got to have it. I think we all agree with that. Repentance. Paul said, Acts 17.30, Luke recorded for us, and the times of this ignorance God winked at or looked over, looked toward the cross, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. I think we all agree with that. Confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Romans 10.9 and 10, Paul said that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Confession brings us to the point of salvation. That's what unto is, right? I'm not into something, I'm unto it. I'm on the cusp. I'm right at the edge. And so there must be something that puts me into it. Well, Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Mark 16, 16. But do we stop there? 
Can we gain salvation and then we just sit back and we, we try to figure out, well, the least amount I can get by with? I don't think anybody believes that. I don't think that thought goes through anyone's mind. But sometimes we behave that way, don't we? We just kind of sit. I think faithful living till we depart this life is the final ingredient into salvation. Notice what Jesus said recorded Revelation 2 verse 10. Those people were being persecuted and Jesus leaves them some comforting words. He said, Fear none of those things which you shall suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of righteousness. Once obedience to the gospel is had, we live faithfully, always endeavoring to make Jesus proud of what we need to do. We must continue, though, to investigate, right? We have to continue in our investigation. We have confidence, but sometimes our confidence can wane, can't it? Have you ever questioned your beliefs? Maybe you haven't studied exactly as much as you ought to. It's happened to me and I begin to think and I think, well, I don't know, I'm not sure about that. Well, we need to continue our investigation. The Bible is not some old story that's more myth than it is fact. It is a fact. It's not outdated in our world. Right now, archaeologists continue to prove the validity of the Bible. Right now, science continues to point toward the fact that there was a designer in our life, in our world, and in our universe. Today we can compare the four gospel accounts and we can see that all four of those writers spoke the same story, told the same truths. And we see that. The gospel produced faith in Luke and it can produce a faith in us. But we have to continue Luke saw Jesus through individuals. He saw Jesus through investigation. And finally, I want us to notice, this is our last point. He saw Jesus through initiative. He had initiative, didn't he? What is one of the things that we notice about Luke? I think one of the most important things that we notice about Luke is that Luke served. He was a worker in the church. He did the things that was necessary. Once he met Paul... He joined that effort. He wanted to be able to produce. He wanted to be beneficial to other people. He left his life and he went on to be a missionary and do the things that God would have him to do. And we're so thankful to him for that. Again, no longer would he serve the physical needs of people. He would serve the spiritual needs. That's more important, isn't it? But that wasn't peculiar to Luke, was it? We see that in the lives of a lot of the disciples that uh, Jesus had. Mark or Matthew 4, verse 20. When Jesus called Peter and Andrew, do you remember what they did? They straightway left their nets and they followed Him. When Luke gave himself to greater service, I think he could see Jesus better. He understood what Jesus wanted to impart to him and to the rest of the world. When you're there in the midst of it and you're doing the work and, and you're highly involved, you begin to understand in a very personal way exactly what Jesus intended. And what a vital lesson for us today if we allow it to affect us. I think many fail to see Jesus clearly because they fail to give themselves to greater service. Now some may know a little bit about Jesus. Some may know enough about Jesus to understand what the plan of salvation is, the things that He's commanded that we just talked about. 
They may know enough and have studied enough to attend services part of the time or even most of the time. But no one, anyone, they will never know Jesus like they ought to until their fingerprints are on the works of the church. Until we give ourselves to greater service. I think it will be impossible to have a personal relationship with Christ until we do that. And when we begin to serve, we may even be surprised at the direction in which it takes us. Paul admonished us, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. He said, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And that's not just a suggestion. Luke isn't just an example of service. He is an example of someone who strives to serve. That has to be part of our characteristics, doesn't it? We have to have that desire to strive to serve. We have to make that important to us. His faith didn't leave him in Troas, did it? No, he continued on with Paul. He made the decision to go with him, to be a part of the Great Commission. Now, we don't have to leave our lives here, but we do have to leave our lives in the world to become disciples of Christ. He teaches us being a Christian isn't just about being saved. It's remaining that way, right? We have to continue to be saved and we have to save other people. It doesn't stop. The hard work really just begins at obedience. Have you ever noticed as we read about the life of our Savior that He never left anyone in the same position or in the same shape when He found them? Have you ever thought about that? He always expected change in them, didn't He? Some, it was stop being a fisherman and become fishers of men. Others, it was simply sin no more. But change was expected. And that's what we have to understand. He always expected growth and change, didn't He? That's what it is to be a Christian. We grow, we improve, our lives become better, we become more faithful. And Jesus has called all of us. He has called every one of us. But He's called us by the Gospel, 2 Thessalonians 2.14. I can recall prior to, going to, <clears throat> prior to going to school, I was up in Indiana and I was preaching at a congregation and, and uh, I was taking some questions and, and a lady from the congregation who was, uh, she'd married a member of the Lord's Church, and she asked me when I received my calling to be a preacher. And uh, I stumbled on that just a little bit. I'd never been asked that before, up to that point. And I said, the gospel has called all of us. Second Thessalonians 2.14 God has called us all. Now we have to, in the words of Peter, make our calling and our election sure. And that's up to us. But we can do that if we live the life that we ought to live. Luke saw perhaps more clearly our Lord than some of those who even walked in His footsteps. Because he saw Jesus through individuals, investigation. He saw, he saw Him in the lives of others. He saw that demonstration. And... When we think about it, he saw Jesus in the everyday, normal lives of those people who had obeyed the gospel and others saw Jesus in his everyday, normal life. And that's what we want. 
That's how we're going to change the world in which we live, isn't it? Christ made this statement. We'll close on this thought. Matthew 11, verse 2. He said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you know what Luke did? Luke accepted. Won't you, as we stand and as we sing.